What's up, everybody? We are back with another episode of the EX Performance Podcast. Today, Young Fit Jeremy Kane and myself are going to jam out about a topic that's been uh, floating through my mind for a couple of weeks now, and the topic is strategy versus tactics. And the reason this started um, popping into my mind a lot recently, I think, is because of the coronavirus change in marketing and messaging that a lot of gyms are doing, right? So they don't have clients in right now because a lot of them are class-based or in-person based. And so a lot of their social media reverts to what what is current for them. So we're seeing a lot more quote-unquote educational videos. We're seeing a lot more people uh, take to the social media channels to talk about what they're doing with their athletes. And what I think that is kind of exposed for some coaches, or at least what I've noticed at least, is that a lot of coaches are talking tactics. A lot of coaches are talking sets and rep schemes and these other things that, in theory, uh, brief well, right? They, they look good on paper. Um, you know, a lot of athletes would look at it and say, oh, yeah, that's what I need. But having an understanding of the back end of things and the why behind things, I'm like, man, you've got no overarching strategy. So I made a post about it yesterday. Um, you know, I use the analogy of handstand push-ups. We're seeing a lot of athletes right now working on skills and drills because they can't get in the gym. A lot of people struggle with handstand push-ups, and I'm seeing some some segments of the internet um, pass out handstand push-up progressions with no strategy and no overarching theme of, hey, you're weak, <laughs> get stronger, and, and therefore your handstand push-ups will get better. I think it's one of those things that, in class workouts, it could get hidden because you're focused on, if you're a traditional kind of CrossFit model, you're doing a strength piece, strength, strength bias programming, strength, and then Metcon. Um, so maybe the technique gets hidden, so therefore, like, the tactics are thrown out the window. But then now you get put in, like, an isolation quarantine thing where you should be working on your strategy on how to improve it. But now we're just reverting back to, like, the tactics behind it and, like, tricks to how to get better at it when it's not necessarily needed. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's where I think uh, as a coach, um, it's kind of frustrating because I want the best for my athletes. I obviously want um, our athletes to progress and I want to know why they're progressing. Right. But at the same time, my athletes are asking a lot more about, hey, have you seen this? Have you seen that? Um, you know, I want to get better at at running. I, I should be doing this, what this program is preaching or teaching for tactics and it kind of doesn't transfer, you know, and that's where with the strategy piece, it starts with assessment. So you and I are both uh, military guys. If we were if we were to go into a, a combat zone and they were just like, go win, here, here's how you shoot things with no overarching strategy, it would be a very short-lived thing and, and we never really get anywhere. And to flip that around to with a lot of my athletes, it's like, hey, yeah, I want you better at running, I want you better at rucking, I want you better at bodyweight things, but you've got a delivery limitation. You know, you're not, there's nothing wrong structurally, you can run all day long, but your delivery, your heart, your left ventricle, and your lungs are your biggest limiter. We don't always develop those with long, slow distance and just more running. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite things with athletes that do switch over the individual side of things is like, hey, I suck at pull-ups, and you see these same people um, constantly doing pull-up drills or kipping exercise it's like hey let's improve your overall level of fitness therefore when we go to then retest pull-ups you have an increased amount of strength you've probably dropped a little bit of body weight so therefore your relative pulling strength doesn't need to be as high um, and then all of a sudden you're able to do pull-ups and the 
the question I always get is like, I don't know how you did it. It's like, well, number one, it's not kipping drills or like other ways to grip the bar. It's simply your body is pulling, so we need to get you to pull better. Yeah, and, and you know, like I, I totally skipped this at the beginning. One thing I think we need to discuss is like terminology and, and uh, definitions, right? So one thing when we say strategy and tactics – um, you know, we got to define those like like tactics are the day to day things that you use sets reps exercises sort of thing to get a response in an athlete. The strategy is the overarching plan, right? It's the um, the all the variables put together from the coach's standpoint. That's like, hey, if we want you better at pulling and we look at you just holistically and it's like, OK, you, we want you better at pulling, but you can't create midline tension. Um, you don't have good scapular mechanics, like all these things, if we just layered on more pulling on a broken foundation, meaning we don't have a strategy, you know, you're never going to progress. Or if you do progress, it'll be slow and choppy. And that's where I think, you know, as I look at it from, you know, the military background, so I'm using these words, strategy and tactics. Um, you know, I've read a book and I think a lot of us have called Art of War, like Sun Tzu. And he had a, he had a quote that's always stuck with me in my whole career. And it says, strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. But tactics without strategy is a noise before defeat. And it just that keeps circulating in my head right now mm-hmm. as we've got a whole bunch of people trying to advertise, trying to put their stuff out there, meaning well. But they're so focused on tactics that they're not going to ever have a grand strategy that helps their athletes progress. Yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I think it would be cool if we help, like, kind of laid out what four weeks or six weeks, let's say, for someone getting better at handstand push-ups would like, look like. Um, and let's just say someone can't press their body off the floor. So it's, they're doing handstand push-ups. From a strategy perspective, we would say that like the first couple weeks needs to increase your pressing strength without the need for kipping drills or getting upside down. Simple L-sit presses, um, even increasing just upper body power development, like a hang power clean, um, bench press. Then you'd say like week three or four, we get into maybe some intensity hits with some upper body pressing. Then five and six, once let's say this is accelerated. So like, let's say those first four weeks you gained pressing strength. Then we can teach you the minute things like how to hold midline tension in an upside down vertical position because you've built the primary strength. Kind of like when we use our level method, you have the prerequisite strength to then press upper body. I think oftentimes what happens when you look at these programs they're selling online or just someone that's kind of doing it on their own, week one, they jump to drills. It's <laughs> Drills are great, but it, like, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Yeah, and that's where, you know, let's stop there, man. Like, like I said, I don't think these are wrong. Like, I don't think progressions are wrong, and I don't think putting those things out there um, but putting them out there without context is what, what really gets to me. So when we're talking about handstand push-ups, like, there is a time and place for pike presses. There is a time and place for like, you know, handstand push-ups, just even wall two, walks, or you something. know, wall walks or or to like stack two or three ab mats. So you're just working partial range of motion. Like there's a time and place. But for most athletes, when we look at them objectively, and they can't strict press like 80% of body weight, and they can't do the the normal things um, to show upper body pressing strength then we try and layer on complexity, it's never gonna transfer. Because if an athlete is upside down and they are so focused on trying to press, but their midline's weak, they're not, they're not able to create tension, we're laying on complexity before we ever built the foundational stuff. It's like trying to have my son, first grader, 
I'm homeschooling him right now. <laughs> and so, you know, I have to, to think about things as a first grader's eyes sometimes. And it's like, hey, why aren't we writing in cursive yet? My dude's still trying to put together sentence structure. And yeah. we're trying to layer on cursive. If he doesn't get the foundational strength, a.k.a. upper body pressing strength, inner abdominal pressure, creating tension, then we flip him upside down, he's never going to express that. And some people get it right by accident because they they do have someone who's right on the verge of tipping over that and they, they add some drills and like, oh, it worked great for them. But really, more often, I see athletes struggling for months, years, coaches struggling for months and years, trying to progress people through with the wrong tool. Yeah. I think one of the kind of even flipping it from pressing to pulling, one of my favorite ones that I do with a lot of my athletes is, and they're oftentimes taken back by this, but is strict pull-ups. Like I try to get my athletes to do five tempo strict pull-ups before I even tell them to start introducing hardcore tipping drills where they're practicing butterflying just from a scapular control shoulder health perspective and I kind of took that from the level method map as well it's like they have a similar rule I think it's eight for them but um, same concept it's like we're building foundational stuff before we get complex yeah and that's where you know this whole thing came from is is I think a lot of I think a lot of what we're doing on both ends of the spectrum is from a, a tactics point. You know, like a lot of a lot of new strength. We've been talking athletes. A lot of new strength conditioning coaches, specifically ones that are like school taught, are so set on this set and rep scheme, periodized structure, and all these things, which are tactics. Right at the end of the day, those are tactics. Instead of looking at the athlete in front of them and saying, "Okay, the strategy to get this point uh, athlete from point A to point B." may not look like my textbook. And it, and it goes to the educational piece, right? When they are taught curriculum in school, it's so they can be tested. So, you know, they then a- apply that to an athlete and they're like, well, we gotta do five by five for X period of time, we gotta do those <laughs> other things. And it's like the athlete in front of you is, is not that, it's a human. And you're taking tactics that you know and trying to blanket them on top. Conversely, we've got a whole generation of, of you know, the CrossFit coaches, I would say, and I started out you know, traditional and then switched to CrossFit stuff early on in my career. Um, but what we're seeing now is, is it's been around about a decade and you're having these coaches who only know CrossFit. Yeah. Right. So they don't know they how collect. to, they don't know how to apply the basics. They don't know how to apply, you know, traditional strength and conditioning schemes to help their athletes progress because they always got to be constantly varied or their athletes going to get mad. Yeah. They always got to be, you know, high intensity. So their athlete can never develop skill in a non-fatigue state. And then, you know, the whole concept of competing all the time when sometimes it's competing as yourself, progression. Yeah. It's not sexy, but you yeah. got to have both ends of that that's, spectrum. That's golden right there. I think, like, when you look at a training block, like, it's okay to send someone through almost like a bodybuilding-like phase if they Absolutely. need it. And and that's one thing that I have problems with the CrossFit is, like, sometimes good training is boring. Like, you got to let that sink in. Like, Good training sometimes is boring in terms of, hey, you're just going to do the same thing you did last week, maybe more volume or maybe a little bit, five pounds more. But overall, you're increasing your strength. You're increasing how much you can handle from a metabolic fatigue um, standpoint. But sometimes it's just basic. It doesn't have to be this constantly varied thing that like only if you only know CrossFit. 
Yeah, and that's where, you know, like, one of, one of my athletes kind of hit me up about something we said on the last podcast, or it was one before that, about, like, like an instamental approach and everything else, and he was like, hey, can you clarify that for me? So, for the audience, like, when I'm talking about an instamental approach, I'm kind of talking about the, the power continuum that's taught in a lot of courses, like, zero to ten seconds is a certain energy system, certain power output, like, very heavy, very fast, but you can't maintain a long time. And then... On an infinite end, on the other end of that spectrum is like long distance running, biking, whatever, for 24 hours on end, right? Low intensity, long duration. So everything we do falls somewhere on that power output graph. When I'm talking about an ends to middle approach or a middle to ends, what I'm talking about is you have someone who's very powerful. During certain times of year, we're going to go as far down to the other end of the spectrum as we can, right? To develop certain parts of the skill set and, and things that they don't have. And then we're going to build towards the middle um, if we're trying to get them to be a CrossFit athlete, right? So if we've got a strength hour, strength and power athlete, we're going to completely work their aerobic system certain parts of the year. And when they get to competition, we need a good blend. At the same time, there are certain schools of thought. CrossFit's one of them. And then just, you know, kind of the high-intensity trends is we start in the middle. We start <laughs> and we do everything and we do all of the things. And so then we never really get good at either end of the spectrum. In theory, that might be good for CrossFit competitions, but what it does is it, if you don't have a naturally good athlete and you never take them to those other ends of the spectrum, they eventually hit a point. It's typically about six to 12 months in the CrossFit career where they stagnate and plateau and they don't make any more progress because the randomness and the novelty is worn away. And so the accidental progression they see can't be done anymore. So that's like you were saying, certain times a year, we might absolutely go just aerobic work and bodybuilding. Right, to shore up those ends of the spectrum that that athlete never goes to, and around competition time or, or game day, then we pull them together. Because even most bodybuilding done at tempo builds tendon and ligament strength too, so gives that a break after a peak of just like doing Olympic lifting and heavy, heavy squats or pressing, like just doing some tempo work to allows yourself to kind of recover but still get stronger as well. Yeah, and that's, you know, like back to the energy system thing. Um, I think early on I, I was in that realm of just follow what the best endurance coaches would do, layered on some strength, and then you'll have you'll have success. And it's not true. doesn't happen. And so, you know, I was caught up with the tactics of like Jack Daniels running formula and then doing west side lifting on the other side, all tactics, all methods, but the strategy just wasn't there and it doesn't apply. The same thing happens in any sport that I've kind of dabbled into or seen with my athletes is many of our athletes get caught up and some novice coaches too with what the best athletes in that sport are doing, right? Let's take the sport of weightlifting. Hey, Klokov is doing this, you know. Matty Rogers, I've got, I've got a lifter right now who's a big Matty Rogers fan. You know, all these other people were doing these things. And it's like, yeah, what were they doing three years ago, five years ago, when they were starting out to where you are right now? Or where they're in the same progression that you are? Yeah. Their tactics look drastically different. My strategy to get you where they're at is what you need to trust me for. Literally what you are coming to me for is the strategy. So you can't get blinded by the tactics of the lifting complexes or the things they're doing. Same thing happens with coaches. They, they love them some strength work because it's very objective and quantifiable. And they look at what the Russians were doing in like the 70s and 80s. That's not even what they're doing anymore, much less what their athletes need. And they're wondering why, hey, my athletes are broken, my athletes are, are whatever. Well, yeah, it's not a state-sponsored doping system. <laughs> it's not you know a selection from the time they're four years old in these state-sponsored like talent identification camps. And then all of a sudden they're like, man, it, I don't understand it. You know, the, the textbook said... And that's what we've always come back to, which is we make our programs fit our athletes, you know, not not the athletes fit some arbitrary program. 
Yeah, and the one I see a lot, I think weightlifting is a good example. The one I see a lot when it comes to tactical athletes, tactical and CrossFit, but I'll say both. Tactical is like these programs that kind of get their money off of doing kit stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, like if I almost get tactical athletes, like if they're not doing it in kit, it doesn't matter. And it's like, <laughs> that's not necessarily how you get better at stuff carrying load. And then from a CrossFit athlete's perspective, I think it's very hard for people to look at very high level athletes that are maybe doing the wrong thing, but they're just good because they've done it a long time. I think people neglect training age as a variable. If you've been doing CrossFit, say for 10 years, that it's been around or even 12 years, you're going to be good just based off the time that you've done it. Doesn't mean what you're doing is right. And I see it a lot where athletes will come to me and be like, Hey, I want to try this. It's a, and something an athlete posted on like Instagram. I'm like that is possibly the dumbest like training day I've ever seen, but it, it quote unquote works for them because they're already great. Like, yeah, yeah. So it's hard to mess up great. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, you know, completely agree back to the tactical thing. Like the, the problem is with tactics, like you can see tactics, you can see people doing kit work and it looks cool. And it's, it's something that can draw you in, in the moment. And that's what athletes are there for, right? They're looking for that in the moment fix, if you will, perception of difficulty, but you can't, you can't advertise strategy. You know what I'm saying? You can't put strategy in an Instagram post or a Twitter, yeah. Twitter post. You know, I can't summarize my strategy for a long-term selection-based event in 150 characters. You know, because it depends <laughs> on the on the athlete, depends on how they're progressing, how they do week to week, day to day, all those other things. So when it's like, hey, those tactics are cool, doing kit runs and doing kit everything, great, makes for great Instagram posts. Guess what it doesn't do? For the average athlete, it doesn't translate to long-term success. We've been doing this long enough. We know it. We have enough high-level athletes that have proven it. But you can't exactly you know, show all that in an Instagram post or something like that. So tactics, they're sexy. They get people drawn in. You know, same thing back to handstand push-ups. Hey, look at, look at what this you know, specific company is doing for handstand progression. Mind you, a level 10 gymnast, a world champion gymnast, a whatever gymnast is showing these progressions... And it's like, well, I want to do that. Okay, let's. I wish I could sit down and see what their strict press weight is. I wonder what yeah. you know their strict handstand push-ups are. And, and you're trying to go into a kipping or, or whatever progression, and you haven't done the background work. Yeah, no, I agree. That's a good point. You know, and so like the 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 recent one too that I've seen is is a lot of coaches getting caught up in old systems. Um, you know, like uh, I use the analogy of the the, the QWERTY keyboard because I'm looking at my laptop right now. Like the Q-W-E-R-T-Y keyboard is the most inefficient way of typing. Literally, the keyboard was made for typewriters to not get their keys jammed up. So we are still using a system that is 100 years old, outdated, to make typewriters not jam. But we still use it. And if you look at the top row, you can spell out typewriter because the typewriter salesman used to do it all across the top line to sell more typewriters. But we still do it. There's so many things in the strength and conditioning field, the, the human performance field that we do that are hundreds of years old, but we never relook it, right? We never look back and say, why are we doing those things? Is it the right answer? Is it the best answer? And that's where tactics come in, right? So if we're talking war strategy and all those stuff, strategy changes based on the, on the environment. Strategy changes based on what, what the environment is doing, the bad guys, the good guys, everything else. But the tactics that we're using on a day-to-day basis, you know, they're kind of you can keep recycling over the time in the right time and right place and people never change their strategy 
because they can always look back at tactics. And so, you know, like with that typewriter keyboard right in front of me, it's not the most efficient way to type, <laughs> but we just don't change it because it's too, the, the price to change or the cost of changing it isn't enough. And that's where a lot of people can just recycle those tactics. You know, the really good athletes can do bad stuff and make it look good. Yeah. And the problem is when athletes try and copy and paste it and do it themselves and they are not that same athlete. Yeah, it's when, I see it a lot when, elite level athletes create a method <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like it doesn't work like for everybody you know or it doesn't work for the person that doesn't have a single strict handstand push-up or a single strict pull-up like the guy that can do 50 unbroken chest to bar yeah i'm sure he can throw out a drill that says hey this will help you just buy it for 15.99 a month whatever it is and it's it's frustrating as a coach <laughs> yeah, absolutely and, and, and i mean you know i see it not just with athletes but the coaching world as well like you know, there's a bunch of coaches who, who mean really well. Like, they have the best intentions in mind, but because they've got a certain set of tactics, right, they've got a, a certain set of tools in their toolbox, they only use those tools, right? So if, if all I've got in my toolbox is a hammer and a screwdriver, you better hope that I can fix your problem with a hammer and a screwdriver. But instead of getting new tools in the toolbox, changing it up, finding different ways to use a hammer and a screwdriver, um, will be better for the athletes, but for the coaches, it's like, hey, I can rinse and repeat these tactics, and I can make some money off of them, or I can do just enough to not get my athletes to leave, and they just keep recycling it. So you know, it's that whole, you know, law of the of the instrument type thing. Like, if I only have a hammer, everything's going to look like a nail to me. Yeah, I think a, a coach athlete relationship is built off of that as well. So like. If they run through that same progression, like you have to, like as your athlete gets better, you have to be able to adapt yourself as well as a coach to push your knowledge to the next level to be able to provide that kind of service that the athletes are paying for. Yeah, and you know, like one thing that's that's been circulating in my mind a little bit, I sent you this link yesterday, um, is just a new way of looking at like bioenergetics, right? So we're talking about a lot of what the what the industry is doing. Like I I will openly share that. You know, the way I looked at energy systems and development and stuff in the last three to five years has changed drastically from when I first started, you know. It was, okay, I'm going to train this energy system zero to ten seconds, and I'm going to have five to thirty times as long on the rest, and then I'm going to chain, you know, do the anaerobic system, anaerobic system, and, you know, just recently I found this article or this system, um, you know, it's basically called the, the lactic shunt model or glycogen shunt model, um, and it kind of throws all that out the window. Like, all your energy systems work at once. Uh, we can develop them at certain times and places with doses of exercise and types of things, but you can't separate them. There's no switch that says, okay, past 10 seconds, yeah. now I'm, I'm working on this thing. And I think that's where, personally, like that is a growth model. That is something I've changed my strategy with the way I program for both our gym and for my individual athletes. Um, but it's not as clean, right? I can't tell an athlete, hey, I'm going to have you do a 16-week progression and by week 16, you're going to be running this many miles at this speed. I can't do it. And so that's hard to market because yeah. it's not a quote-unquote tactic. I think the that link that he's talking about, the glycogen shunt model, um, it's interesting because it throws, like you said, it throws everything out the window. Like it used to be that aerobic work, like fat's primary fuel source. It didn't say it's necessarily wrong, but there also showed evidence that now we're burning kind of glucose and certain percentage of muscle contractions that like we never thought before. Yeah, it makes you question what you were doing. And I think that's good. And it just shows that we're doing that. And that's where some of these systems like, you know, the, the 
the I'm not going to say high school strength conditioning systems, but the the coaches who traditionally change who use the systems that are 30 years old. Obviously, we know a lot more about the human body. We know a lot more about training, but they're not changing their tactics because nothing is forcing them to. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, so you know that's that's kind of a recent one with me. Um, you know, the the big takeaway from this whole thing, I think, is for for coaches and athletes alike, is to realize the difference between the two. So if I'm giving a set and rep and exercise, you know, set and rep scheme for a certain exercise and guaranteeing results, that should be a red flag, right? That should absolutely be a red flag. When I'm looking at trying to um, progress a certain skill, movement, attribute, and I'm going to the most complex answer, that should probably be a red flag, right? And then lastly, strategy is not sexy saying that you want to progress something like handstand push-ups or everybody pressing and saying that you can get it in two to four weeks, just not realistic, and saying that you can do it with uh, changing exercises and sets every single workout almost random, it's just not realistic. And so if you kind of take those three, three red flags and say, okay, everything that I look at, if I add those three criteria to them, is it strategy, is it tactics, is it BS, or is it long-term progression? Yeah. At the end of the day, long-term is what we look for um, for a lot of our athletes, and that's something I point out to athletes when they come to me, when they start talking about, like, typically it happens a lot of frustration is from what I see, is they get frustrated with not progressing. And one of the first conversations we have is, like, what have you been doing? And it's something along the lines of that. Like, oh, I do my kipping drills every day for – I've been doing it for weeks on weeks on weeks, and it's like – that to me is that red flag that hey we need to then look at the foundational things that we talked about earlier in the episode um, to see what's happening with the body physiologically and see if we're even strong enough to practice the kipping drills yeah and I think you you brought up a good point there like a lot of times it's hard to see the big picture when we're looking at ourselves Mm -hmm. right we've got our own internal biases we've got our preconceived notions we've got a lot of this noise coming in seeing what other athletes are doing whether it's tactical athletes looking at people working out in kit and they're not whether it's you know our crossfit athletes looking people doing these gymnastics complexes and they're not it's hard to be objective and removed from your own problem and see the overall strategy that you need you know if you look at some of the best athletes in the world a lot of people forget they have not only coaches but multiple coaches so sometimes you have to step back and get an outsider view because if all I have in my toolbox is a hammer and a screwdriver, I'm never going to think to use a drill gun or something else. So sometimes it's objective external views. And a lot of times what that means for us with our athletes is some candid conversation that hurts feelings, <laughs> right? Because nobody wants to think about themselves having a weakness or if they do, they just want to punish it, punish the weakness. And, and that's not a good approach either. So a lot of times, that's that's why a lot of our athletes come to us is for that objective point of view. Then we have that conversation, and it's like, hey, you are not strong enough to do a handstand push-up. That's not easy to tell someone, yeah. especially when you're like, hey, I want I want you to pay me. You're I'm your coach, but I'm not paying you to. You're not paying me to make you feel good. So yeah. sometimes it's like you're not strong enough. You're not fast enough. You're not whatever. Let's build that. Then you can have fun later. But it's hard when you're programming for yourself, doing things for yourself, and saying, okay, I'm gonna. I'm going to do boring repeats again this week and no one's going to care because I can't put, you know, 40 minutes of steady state work and bodybuilding on the gram just doesn't post as well. Yeah. And that's just one of those downfalls. Yep. I agree. All right. So that's kind of it for this week, guys. We really appreciate you uh, listening, tuning in. Um, we hope you took something away from this. As always, if you have questions about 
um, any of the strategies or tactics that we use with our athletes and why. We would love to hear that. Hit us up on social media. Um, you know, let us know anything that, that we have an answer that might have popped up in your head. Big second, weekend coming up. Yeah, second thing I, I got to throw out there is we have a huge weekend coming up. Uh, we are doing Murph on Memorial Day for a great cause. Team RWB, Team Red, White, and Blue um, raises money and awareness for veterans returning back to, to transitioning to civilian life and giving them some outlets through physical activity um, to make sure they do that well. Because of that, uh, Hunter McIntyre, six-time obstacle course racing world champion, um, and a couple CrossFit Games athletes, so right now it sounds like Jacob Hepner and Danny Spiegel and potentially Noah Olson, um, will all come to the gym and throw down on the world record for Murph this Saturday. So that starts at 6.30 a.m., and then we'll run heats after the, the elite heat every hour on the hour. Uh, we're going to put a 45-minute cap so we can clean after and get everything set up, and we're going to make sure everybody's distanced. So we're going to have to, you know, caps on how many people are in the heat. But you can see all that on our website at Evolution Athletics NC backslash Memorial Day Murph, and you can RSVP there. So please check that out. Please donate to the cause, and please come watch Hunter McIntyre and crew take on the Murph world record. Should be awesome. All right, guys, as always, remember, get better every day, and we'll see you next time.